Welcome to the Growing Rural Podcast, where we focus on all things rural in South Carolina. We will discuss topics on healthcare, economy, education, and the unique culture that is our rural state. This podcast is supported by the South Carolina Center for Rural and Primary Healthcare. Please join us for today's topic. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Growing Rural Podcast. I'm your host for this episode, Dr. Megan Wise. Today, we're talking with Anna Lewin, the Chief Executive Officer of the South Carolina Community Loan Fund. Hello, Anna. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Megan. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk with you more about the Community Loan Fund and all of the exciting work that you do. To start us off, can you just um, give us an overview of what the South Carolina Community Loan Fund is, what you do, how you work? Yeah, sure. So South Carolina Community Loan Fund is a nonprofit organization and we are a mission-based lender. So we actually have a certification through the U.S. Department of Treasury um, as a certified community development financial institution or a CDFI. Um, There are CDFIs all over the country, a thousand plus CDFIs, and there's probably 20 or so in South Carolina. Uh, There are different types of CDFIs. So there are CDFI banks, there are CDFI credit unions, loan funds, even um, venture capital funds. Um, South Carolina Community Loan Fund, as the name, suggests is a loan fund. And so the core of what we do is provide loans for community development projects and small businesses. Um, But we're kind of different from other lenders because we work hands-on with our borrowers, sometimes even for years at a time, um, to get their projects to the finish line. So um, we make loans to um, for-profit, so entrepreneurs who are starting or expanding a business, nonprofit organizations, um, and local municipalities. And we work with these organizations and these individuals to support the development of physical assets in their local communities. And we place a specific focus on funding projects in low-income and rural communities. Yeah, one of the things that I find really interesting about the work is the focus, um, and it's right there in your mission statement, if people can go to your website, and we'll provide a link to that in the show notes, but focusing on serving people of color, women, low-income individuals, and those in rural communities. Um, Obviously, that was one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you a little bit more. Can you tell me more about the types of projects that you fund and those types of loans, and specifically how you reach out to rural communities and work in those rural communities um, in those priority areas? Yeah, sure. So we are obviously very intentional about who we serve and why. And and we revised our mission statement in 2019 um, to sort of be more clear about that. Um, we wanted to be really uh, sort of explicit about who we were serving and why. We know that um, the groups of people, so people of color, women, low-income individuals, and, and those in rural communities have often been left behind, certainly underinvested, and um definitely underestimated. Um, But we know the incredible potential that exists in these communities and within these people. It just takes capital and capacity sometimes to unlock that. Mm -hmm. And by Um, capital, you mean money, right? Yes. Um, So we make um, loans for in in sort of four different project areas. So we make loans for affordable housing, uh, for healthy food enterprise, small business, and then community facilities. So think like um, schools, town halls, um, transitional housing, homeless shelters, that kind of thing. 
Um, we've done it all over the state, particularly, um, you know, in, in rural areas. We've got great examples um, of all of those types of projects. And that's everything, um, you know, to a loan from a um, loan to a small community development corporation um, for the rehab of four houses in their community. Um, all the way up to, um, you know, a $3.8 million loan to the Orangeburg County School District um, for their high school health profession. So really, you know, projects um, kind of spanning size and scope, sort of, you know, a wide range and spectrum of those types of projects. But it's all about um, really access to capital and then access to um, housing and essential services for us. Mm-hmm. And where does the capital that you have, or what the organization has then to be able to loan out, how does that work? Where does that original, you know, the original funds come and then you have different groups and they're eligible and, and you, um, I guess, walk me through the process of how you guys raise your capital to be able to then go and reinvest it. Sure. So we pull capital um, from a variety of different types of investors. We pull capital from um, banks. So we have a lot of financial mm-hmm. institutes and partners, um, foundations through um, program related investments, um, high net worth individuals can invest into our loan fund. Um, and then um, U.S. Department of Treasury or the USDA and also um, some state and local government um, funding comes in. And so we pull all of that capital together and we loan it out. Um, when the money is paid back um, to us, we loan it out again to the next project. So the money revolves, mm-hmm. um, revolves itself. And so um, we have loan officers stationed throughout the state. So we've got offices in Charleston, Columbia and Spartanburg. We have a loan officer in each of those um, offices because what we know is that kind of boots on the ground um, in communities is, is a really key Um, component to getting this work done. Mm -hmm. Um, We often, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there have been instances where we have worked with borrowers for years to prepare them, um, you know, to access capital. And so that takes time, it takes relationship building, and it takes trust ultimately. And so we've got a team of people who are really devoted um, to the borrower and seeing the borrower through the process. When you talk about working with um, a borrower over time, you know, even years to get, so I assume that means so that someone's ready to really be approved for the loan and have that reasonable expectation of success to be able to, to pay it back. What, what does that look like? How, how so, do you find them? What do you do with them? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, we do a lot of um, outreach kind of through um, workshops, educational, um, you know, educational opportunities around accessing finance or different kinds of community development finance tools. And so we get some borrowers that way. Um, word of mouth. So I think it's, you know, the biggest compliment is when um, an existing borrower tells a, a potential new borrower what a mm-hmm. great experience they had with the loan fund. And then we've got some repeat borrowers um, as well. So um, borrowers come to us in a variety of different ways. Um, the technical assistance piece or sort of the, the coaching piece um, mm-hmm. is a really core part of our mission. You know, and mentioned earlier that that's sort of one of the things that differentiates us from other lenders is that technical assistance piece. And that happens in a couple of ways. So it can happen one on one with a borrower, um, you know, where our loan officers might be working with a borrower very specifically on um, you, typically it's financial statements and looking at cash flow and balance sheets and that sort of thing to get them ready, as you said, um, for the credit process and ultimately approval at our loan committee. 
Um, but we also offer some group technical assistance programs that are not so much focused on specifically like getting ready for getting a borrower ready for loan committee, but it's more <laughs> about capacity building. So um, feeding innovation is a great example of that. That uh, program in particular is specifically for um, entrepreneurs. And in our world, an entrepreneur can be a for-profit, a nonprofit, or a governmental entity. We know um, as non-profiteers, we have to be very entrepreneurial at times. Um, and so, um, so any of those types of entities with a healthy food project can participate in feeding innovation. And there is a, um, it's about an eight week course and they come out the other side with a pretty solid business plan. Um, for their ideas, but what it does, you know, the, the education piece, like, you know, they go to class once a week and all of that is fine and good, but what we hear over and over and over from participants is that networking piece that they get mm. to know and spend time with each other and sort of learn about each other's business. And it's not so much competitive as it is, they end up working with each other. I mean, I've seen, you know, one, you know, maybe one business is going to support another business as a part of their plan, like they're going to partner up. Or I've even seen, um, you know, one partic participant decide they're not going to do their own thing. They're going to actually team up and work with another participant. So it's oh, a okay. great way. To, yeah, it's a great way to sort of, um, allow folks who are thinking about these types of projects to sort of hash out their ideas and really explore and dig deep in a, in sort of a low risk environment. Um, there is at the end of the course, there's a, um, a little bit of a shark tank, I guess, um, vibe that happens um, in that participants uh, pitch, they do a, you know, a pitch of their business plan to a panel of judges. And then there's actually a seed capital award um, for the plan that the judges select is, is sort of being the strongest plan and certainly in the case of feeding innovation having the most impact on um, healthy food access so um, it's been a really great uh, program for us we have offered that program now about nine times and trained more than like 90 entrepreneurs there are um, healthy food businesses in there um, that have come through that program that you would certainly recognize, Food Share, for example, um, in its very early stages before it even had a name, um, <laughs> participated in feeding innovation. We've had grocery stores, we've had um, mobile markets, we've had, um, you know, like farm kind of crop processing facilities. So all sorts of projects, all of which have a direct um, line to increasing healthy food access. So with the technical assistance and that capacity building with the feeding innovation and the WEAP, how do people get connected to those programs? Do they apply? Is there a charge to participate? Tell us a little bit more about that. So people can go to our website, which is um, www.sccommunityloanfund.org and look at the um, technical assistance tab and there's additional information um, on the programs and you can find out when we're offering those um, there. There is a charge to participate so um, it's only a hundred dollar fee. It is non-refundable and really what we have found is that there's a greater degree of participation um, when the people who are participating have a little bit of you know quote-unquote skin in the game. Mm -hmm. um, they tend to kind of show up and see the program through. Um, it also helps us cover a little bit of the cost of um, books and the training and facilitation fees for that program. How do people become involved in it? Is it an application process or they just sign up? 
There is an application process. Um, there's additional information on our website. Um, there's actually um, for sure elite program running now, which is our other um, TA program, very similar um, to feeding innovation focused on healthy food um, and there's a focus in LEAP on um, diverse entrepreneurs, so um, racial minorities and women in particular. Um, and so they can get more information about that on our website on how to apply and um, when those programs run. And the great mm -hmm. thing now actually um, as a result of COVID, you know, we've had to move everything online and there used to be, you know, we would offer it in, um, you know, Spartanburg or Orangeburg mm -hmm. and now sort of those geographic boundaries um, and constraints are gone because it's online. So we've actually seen a huge uptick um, in application volume, interest in participating because that transportation, you know, and travel mm -hmm. barrier is gone. Yeah, that's um, very so exciting. Yeah, it's been really, really great um, to see that. So have you also seen an increase in applications for loans? Um, due to COVID or how has that affected your work? I, I understand how it affects the training and maybe some challenging ways, but then also those positive ways, like you just mentioned, really increasing access in, in some ways. But what about the, the rest of the work? Yes. So we are actually on track to have our um, best year ever in terms of lending, um, which That's is awesome. pretty crazy. Yeah, pretty crazy um, in, you know, in the face of a global pandemic. Um, but CDFIs um, have always been, you know, CDFIs fared really well during the recession. Mm -hmm. um, and we're expecting that the same thing will happen um, through this pandemic. Uh, you know, the challenges that our borrowers face existed before the pandemic. They're mm -hmm. just getting mm -hmm. more attention because of the pandemic. You know, it's kind of blown the cover off mm -hmm. um, in a different way of all of the inequities that exist. Um, so our portfolio now, our loan portfolio is actually stronger than it was in April. Um, we just have a really incredible group of borrowers who are very proactive um, and, and we have very strong relationships with our borrowers, um, which helps too. The other thing that we're seeing is that um, banks understandably are being mm -hmm. more conservative and so we are um, getting some people who may have have traditionally gone to a bank but since banks are pulling back a little bit um, they're coming to CD those borrowers are coming to CDFIs now when you do loan you've talked about the eligibility for profit nonprofit governments it, it seems wide open and with the business and housing and food um, really addressing so many of those needs it sounds really like community building as well as um, providing loans for businesses and that additional development the loans how do the interest rates compare the the paying back how do you work with folks once they receive the loan and, and they're moving forward. Do you do you step back or are you still really involved like you were on the original technical assistance side? We are still really involved on the technical assistance side. Um, you know, they our borrowers stay in touch with our loan officers. We have a really great um, her title is portfolio manager, but she basically works with borrowers post loan closing. Um, and so we really do stay in close touch with our borrowers because we're not just invested in their project, we're invested in them. You know, I mean, we want to see them succeed. That's the most important thing. We obviously, as a lender, don't want to lose a loan um, mm -hmm. for, for all of the, you know, all of the reasons you would think no one wants to lose money. 
But when we lose a loan, the community loses an asset sometimes. And that's what we definitely don't want to see. And so we take very good um, care to stay in touch with our borrowers and work with them if they run into trouble. Um, you know, as, as many borrowers, both of CDFIs and banks do, you know, I mean, that's mm -hmm. it's risky. Um, but we've only in, in the history of our organization, we've lost, I think at this point, about I would call it one and a half um, loans. And we've been doing this work for 15 years. And so um, we know mm -hmm. um, what our borrowers are capable of. And, you know, they're, these are good deals. They're good projects that work. Um, and so we're, we're very proud of that. Can you, um, let's expand a little bit on that. Can you tell me more about those direct impacts that the loan fund has had? You've talked about a, a few of the projects, but is there any um, specific success stories, especially in a, a rural area that really, um, you know, has stayed in your heart or that you guys are, are really proud of? Because I, I do see that, you know, from the numbers from your website, y'all, since 2005, 53.7 million in financing has been put out and 347 loans. Um, I know there's 14 community facilities, but so those are numbers. Tell us a little bit about, about the stories of how you've seen the, the, that impact made. God, the, do I have to just pick one? Um, we we the can do a few, just the we can do a few. Please, please yeah. highlight, yeah. The people are, are just the most amazing. So I think about, um, you know, one of our borrowers, we have a borrower in uh, Lakeview, South Carolina, which is up near the North Carolina, South Carolina border. And, um, the closest grocery store to that town closed. And so the residents mm. of that town were actually going into North Carolina to do the majority of their grocery shopping. And um, a resident of Lakeview and actually a, a council member of this town decided he wanted to do something about that. And he opened up a, a food market in Lakeview. And he, unfortunately, as he was thinking of starting this business, his mother, um, it was ill, was sick, and um, kind of left, you know, basically he started the business with his mother's money. That was his equity piece of his oh, business. Yeah. I think it's the most amazing, um, it, first of all, testament to his, to his mother, but also to him that he kind of put his family, you know, and her legacy out there. And, um, and we were able to partner with him um, and provide financing for, um, you know, the renovation and, and some rehab work of this building in town. But the market's doing great. Um, he is, um, you know, supporting local vendors and um, local, local producers in his market. But he also has created a place in town where the residents of Lakeview can go buy, um, you know, food mm -hmm. items and essential items without going to North Carolina. I mean, that's pulling tax dollars out of our state, putting them into another state. And he's been able to help address that. So definitely um, one of my favorites. Um, yeah, that's, a, another, that's a fantastic story. It's such a good story. Um, and it's a really great, you know, people think about healthy food financing and they think grocery stores mm -hmm. and kind of urban and suburban areas. That story is such a great example of what can happen in a rural area. And to me, it's, it's very much part of sort of the power of rural is that um, 
people are extremely loyal to their towns and to their businesses. Um, I have I have seen in my observation in sort of small towns and in rural areas. And so I think that story is a real testament to that. I think another really great example of that is um, actually they won the LEAP competition um, in, I guess it was, it was earlier, it was in June. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did um, a LEAP program uh, in Allendale. And we, um, it, so we worked with the Promise Zone. So it was Allendale, Bamberg, and Hampton counties. Okay. And this couple, um, May and Nate Hartley, um, were retired. So they're, they, you know, they're in their 60s and 70s. They'd been retired. Her family, um, was from Allendale and they moved back to Allendale. And so he had been a federal contractor. She um, had worked in the private sector. They retired, they moved back to Allendale and they just won our LEAP competition and they're gonna start a mobile coffee market, like a mobile coffee shop in, oh, in and around exciting. Allendale. And they targeted all of these, they already know kind of where they're going to go and set up and part, you know, where mm-hmm. um, there's a, you know, large concentration of workers in the morning and that kind of stuff. But they, they, he loves coffee and she loves tea. And they got back to Allendale and realized there weren't great, you know, options for that. Um, and, and so they're going to do something about it. But another great example of, you know, this couple moved back to the wife's hometown mm-hmm. and now they're going to start this little coffee business. I just think it, it, you know, in their retirement. So just another really great example of um, sort of that love and connection to a place and then an mm-hmm. entrepreneurial spirit that, as I said earlier, just, you know, a little capital and capacity building can absolutely unlock. So Anna, what have you learned through this work? I know you've been with the Community Loan Fund for a number of years in different roles um, before your current one. What what have you learned? Um, you know, honestly, that opportunity exists everywhere. Um, South Carolina is absolutely chock full of people who have passion, ideas, skills, and knowledge to um, to bring projects to bear in their communities. They know what their communities need and want and are, are finding ways and figuring out ways to make that happen. I feel so fortunate just to be in the role of being able to provide capital for these projects. I always think, um, you know, it's just kind of an honor for us to participate. Um, this work takes time and it takes commitment. This is mm-hmm. slow, steady work. And if you think about, you know, the, all of the, you know, generations and centuries of um, economic injustice and economic oppression that sort of got us here, it this this work takes time. And um, every project makes a small difference. And so it literally, I have learned to just like never give up. Um, and, and, you know, when I feel a little tired, I, I go to a borrower, I reach out to a borrower because it remind, it's such a great reminder mm-hmm. of the opportunity that exists. And we just, I think, particularly now, sort of in this moment, cannot lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. And that so I'm very fortunate to be in a role where I get reminded of that quite frequently. Yeah, that's, it's really about the people that you're working with and their, their communities. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're using capital, we're using money, um, but it's ultimately we're investing in people. 
Are there unique yeah. ways, have you found, because I know you work st- statewide and you do have that focus on rural areas. Have you found that maybe there were some traditional practices that you needed to adjust or are there unique ways that um, you work to support rural areas? Um, and I'll use our work, some of the work that we've done in Dillon County uh, is a really good example of this. Um, the Dillon County sort of downtown association reached out to our organization probably two or three years ago. Um, and we, our loan officers have spent a good bit of time in Dillon meeting with business owners, meeting with potential borrowers, um, literally for years. And we are now starting to see some of those loans come in to loan committee. And it is, you know, I think that is the kind of work that it takes. It's being in um, the communities and, you know, we were we were asked to come there. So we didn't show up and say, hey, we think we can help. You know, I mean, we, they, we were invited in. We went. We went again. We went again. We went again. We stayed in. Um, and, and we're starting to see that. And that's a testament to um, our staff and their ability to um, and want and willingness to build relationships and build trust and to um, to be present in these communities. And so um, we've been able to fund, um, a, a, you know, a couple of really good loans in Dillon, um, one of which is an adult daycare, which is desperately needed up in that area. Mm. Um, and so really glad to be um, doing work in that part of the state. That's, that's wonderful. That's, that's um, oh, I had a question. Oh, okay. You've mentioned your loan committee a few times in our conversation. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we have um, two loan committees. One um, loan committee hears housing and community facilities deals, and then the other hears um, small business and healthy food deals, usually because healthy food deals are typically some kind of retail. So similar types of deals. Um, And they are both chaired by a member of our board of directors. Um, And then we're able to use both board members and volunteers. So we've got, um, you know, bankers, lawyers, um, community members, entrepreneurs on those committees. And and our job as a staff is to um, present um, both the impact information and the financial and credit information to that committee. you know, be able to show that that the loan um, advances our mission, and then the committee asks us questions. We answer it, and um, it moves through the process that way. Um, but it's a great, um, you know, great group. Um, you know, they challenge us as they should, um, and as we want them to. I believe they're a, a large part of the reason that we've been so successful is because our loan committees have been um, so committed to what we do and so committed to our work. Um, and so it's, um, we're really glad to be working with them in that way. Um, it's also a great way for people to get involved in, in lo- and um, learn about the loan fund. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're not a traditional um, nonprofit, so we don't have, you know, a lot of volunteer opportunities in the way that a food bank or an animal shelter or, you know, a Salvation Army or something like that might. Um, and so it's one of the ways that we're really able to um, kind of engage um, folks in our work, um, you know, those committees 
I would say have somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 people on them. So, you know, they're not huge, Mm -hmm. um, but for people who are very interested in this, you know, admittedly sort of like niche type of work, um, it's a great way to get involved. (laughs) So then those loan committees are the ones making the final decision on the approval of the loan. So you and the staff and and everyone works with the groups, you help get it together and present, but then the decision is made by an um, even broader, more diverse group of people. Yeah, so we have two loan committees. Um, One here's housing and community facilities deals and the other here's uh, small business and healthy food deals, um, typically because healthy food deals are sort of mostly retail, so kind of same business type. Um, and those committees approve anything over $100,000 and under $500,000. Anything that is $500,000 or above is um, approved by the loan committee and then recommended to the executive committee of our board. So there's some really good sort of checks there mm-hmm. um, and approval authority, you know, kind of um, gets is is progressively higher as the loan amount is higher. Um, Our loan committees are chaired by members of our board of directors, but um, other, you know, other people are able to participate who aren't necessarily on our board. Um, It's a great way for people to get involved and kind of get a front row seat to the work that that is happening. Um, You know, we're not um, a traditional nonprofit that has a lot of volunteer opportunities like a homeless shelter or a Salvation Army or um, you know, a food bank might, um, but for people who are interested um, in the little niche world of community development finance, um, it is a great way to sort of um, to, to get engaged. And so, um, you know, our loan committees um, are very good. Um, they're astute, they're lawyers, they're bankers, they're entrepreneurs, um, developers, and so they know what questions to ask us and they know what to look for, um, but they do that with mission in mind. And uh, I, I really attribute a large part of our success to um, the loan committees and the way that they have supported and, and frankly, in many ways, vetted um, our work. What do you see as continued or future challenges of the work of the Community Loan Fund? Yeah, so, you know, in my mind, there's always been two primary enduring challenges to um, moving people in places. Um, out of poverty in South Carolina. So there's a lack of capacity of community-focused nonprofit organizations, for-profit developers, and governmental entities to develop and implement um, community development projects. So a lot of times, and, and you know, this is one of the reasons technical assistance is such a part of our mission. A lot of times people may know, you know, this is an example, you may know how to you know, run a high quality, well-performing um, daycare, for example, mm-hmm. but you may not have, um, you know, a, a really heavy kind of financial or accounting background to make sure that your books are being kept correctly. And so the capacity and the TA piece is, is one that is really important to us. And then the other thing that these um, projects require is, you um, you know, recurring kind of capital investment. So low cost, long-term money Mm -hmm. um, for organizations like ours to invest in these projects. That's really um, what it takes. You know, we are, um, we're in South Carolina, we're in the, in the American South, in the Southeast. And, and, you know, we know that there's sort of lack of major philanthropic investment in this part of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, Yet, if you look at our, you know, health and economic outcomes, one could argue pretty easily, this is where 
investment is needed the most. Um, and so we continue to sort of struggle making that case. Um, we are always out there making that case and pushing for investment um, in the South and particularly in um, you know the communities that we serve. Um, so I think that these challenges will, will endure um, unless there's significant investment in these communities and in rural communities in particular, you know, broadband educational opportunities, mm-hmm. Absolutely. housing, and access to essential services and economic opportunity. On the flip side of that, what continued bright spots and areas of opportunity do you see? Oh, man. I mean, so many, but it's people. It's always people. Um, You know, we've talked about Market on Main. We've talked about um, the Hartleys. Um, So um, I just continue to be inspired by people who love um, and care for their communities. Um, That just never, ever... um, never escapes me so i have you know i have to say it's first and foremost the people from a little more kind of less philosophical um and idealistic point of view um you know from a financial perspective certainly in rural areas the cost of doing business can be lower Mm -hmm. um like we talked about rural communities are typically very loyal to their local businesses and and the cost of business is or I'm sorry, the cost of living is usually lower. And so there are some real advantages, um, you know, from a financial and and sort of um, business ownership perspective about being in a rural community, but it's going to continue, you know, the issue will continue to be sort of size and scale. Mm -hmm. Um, But there, you know, there are ways to make it work. And we see people um, doing that all the time. Can we have one question that um, we ask all of our guests? Um, How do you define rural? You know, from a, from a when I'm at work, I am typically defining rural um, in the ways that the USDA or uh, or um, whatever funding source I'm working with defines rural. Yeah, um, each, so each source has a different uh, different definition. Yeah, There's like over yeah, seventy definitions just at the federal level alone. Yeah, <laughs> right. So it really depends on uh, on what I'm what I'm working on or what I'm working with mm-hmm. um, when, when I'm in the loan fund. You know. When I think of rural as um, as as just Anna the person, um, you know, obviously I think of places that are you know removed from a suburban or an urban core. Um, but what I really think about is um, is small towns and kind of the assets that that exist in small towns, um, and and even outside of those small towns. So truly, in places where there isn't even maybe like a village center you know my family um on my dad's side is is from bennettsville south carolina in marlborough county and i spent a significant amount of time um in bennettsville when i was growing up my grandfather owned the office supply company in town um and i can remember as a child sort of being um going you know obviously going to what we called the office which was the office supply company but there was a pharmacy right there there was a department store around the corner there was a grocery store in town the courthouse sat right there and um it was to me it's about the people like i I can close my eyes and I can still see the people who were, um, you know, working in my grandfather's store or, um, you know, who even, you know, worked at the pharmacy next door. And and for me, it when I think of rural, I think about um, people taking care of people and I think about community. How did you, Anna, come to this work and this mission? Because I'm talking to you, you can really see that, you know, it's it's your work, but it's also um, a passion and a calling. How, how did you come into this? Um, 
and especially if anyone else wants to get involved in doing this type of type of work and, and community building. Yeah, so um, interesting. Um, so I'll, I'll just preface this by saying, before I kind of get into my professional background and educational background and all that, I will um, I'll just preface this by saying, uh, my mother spent her career uh, working for the State uh, Department of Mental Health. And my father worked for a bank. So if you think about how those two, you know, two worlds might collide, I guess maybe you get some version of what I'm doing now. <laughs> Um, I, um, my undergrad, I had no uh, finance, real finance experience before coming to work um, at the loan fund eight years ago. Um, And I don't have a banking background as many people who work and and certainly many people who run CDFIs do. Um, I actually have a master's in social work. And um, when I was working on that master's or early in my career, what I quickly came to realize, and I still believe this, is that kind of the lack of affordable housing really can like, is like a core cause, I think, of almost like every kind of social problem um, that we that we deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I'm glad that sort of this, the whole notion of social determinants of health and community wealth equals community health is kind of gaining traction because um, I'm like, finally, people are catching on to this. So it started off with a real passion for the importance of affordable housing and kind of grew from there. Um, you know, I, I, I realized in the course of some of the work that I did while I was working on my master's, I, I was um, not as, as interested in, uh, as, you know, kind of being, you know, counseling or doing case management mm-hmm. as I was to working with communities, sort of helping them build assets. I was much more interested in um, in the macro work. And to me, the work that the loan fund does, um, helping communities build assets, specifically real estate-based assets, is one really, really, really important way to end generational poverty. Like if someone can own something, if we can get someone alone um, and then they can pay us off and maybe go to a bank and kind of participate in the financial mainstream and they can own something, mm-hmm. like that's how you start to move people in places. Um, certainly not the only way, not a silver bullet, but a really important way. And so um, it, it just all sort of grew from there. Um, I worked um, before, just before I came to the loan fund, I worked at a food bank. um, And so got that sort of, you know, agency to agency experiences um, and that kind of work. But really it was about um, affordable housing and and sort of real estate assets um, and the importance of those to communities, you know, keeping dollars local, increasing the Mm -hmm. tax base, creating economic opportunity. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Um, How can people listening learn more about the South Carolina Community Loan Fund? So definitely go to our website. Um, Big shout out to our communications team. It just got uh, redone this year, so you'll be in for a treat. Um, But it is www.scommunityloanfund.org. And from there, you can connect with us on Facebook, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Instagram. Um, You can find out about, um, you know, Feeding Innovation and LEAP. We also um, moved our Investing in Community Summit, which was kind of our annual conference. Um, We've moved that online this year as well and we're breaking it up into one hour a month 
Um, okay. And so you can find information about those sessions. The next one focuses on um, financial resources for small business. And I believe it's actually next week. Um, and those are free. So um, you can um, learn more there. Wonderful. And we'll add links to the website, um, to, to the show notes. So anyone listening can go back to the show notes and just uh, hit the link and, and get there. Please stay tuned for more episodes coming out soon. If you've liked what you've heard, please head over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts and leave us an excellent rating. If you have any ideas for guests uh, you'd like to hear on our program, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. And that's all for today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Growing Rural Podcast. If you found the content valuable, please leave a rating on iTunes or Spotify so others can find us. For more information, please visit our website at sc.edu forward slash rural healthcare or follow us on Twitter at sc underscore crph. This was recorded at the University of South Carolina School of Medicine in Columbia. It is edited and produced by Sean Riffle. Y'all take care.